If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. I know that you're accustomed to hearing the happy, cheery voice of Keith Giles. But guess what? No Keith today. And Matt will pop in for a minute on his way to uh, a super secret location. But for this episode, you have another Valentine's Day takeover. (laughs) So it is myself and I'm going to turn it over to my illustrious co-host for her own introduction. Katie, take it away. Hey everyone, it's Katie Valentine. I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control and Valentine's Day takeovers are my favorite day of the year. It's not even anywhere close to February 14th, but when Derek and I get the mics... You never know what is going to happen, what we're going to talk about. And we're on the same like quantum, spiritual, woo-woo train together. So this is going to be fun. Woo-woo. But uh, and, I, I do see Matt. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm here, but I'm going to, um, I got to be honest with everyone. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to give away private information about Keith, but Keith and I are actually at a nudist colony. So I'm going to have to be, I'm going to be here for just a second to say hi. I started recording. I'm going to step away for 45 minutes or an hour. You guys just text me when you're done. I will come back and shut down the recording. Uh, But I I, I know you guys can handle it. But me and Keith got, we got some things. We got some hanging out to do. Hanging out. out. (laughs) I I didn't mean to make that pun, but I'm glad it landed. I'll leave you with that. I'm out. Yep. I'm out, everyone. <laughs> well, no, um, no, we, we know what's hang, what's causing that towel to hang on, right? <laughs> I got I got two follow-ups. Where is he going to put his phone? Is he just carrying that phone around? And I do hope that there's some sunscreen available. <laughs> I would say oh, he's probably... Especially for Keith. Keith is going to need oh, yeah. some sunscreen. He's, yeah, Keith is about as, uh, as, as pale as pale face comes, right? <laughs> and why were we, like... What is this like a senior members only nudist colony? What is this? Why are we Ooh. not part of this? Uh, I, I would probably decline the invitation. I'm just curious. Well, you know that that's a that's an interesting thing. I don't, I don't know. Maybe uh, 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 maybe we're just too sexy for them. I don't I, know. It's too hot to handle here. They just, yeah. this conversation is just too much. Yeah. So anyway, I'm Derek Day, the author of Deconstructing Religion, uh, uh, the the host and founder of the fo- uh, the Forward Podcast, as well as this podcast. And also, you can catch my blog at Love Minus Religion at Pathios dot com. So we have a really great, I want to say, range of stuff that we want to talk about today, Katie. So. Uh, I'm going to kick it back over to you and let you kind of set this up and uh, you set them up and I'll knock them down. How about that? Or, or I'll set <laughs> okay. some up and you knock them down. However we do that. That sounds fabulous. Yeah. And so we're, I'm aware we're getting into the holiday season. So this is a great time to talk about all those uh, taboo subjects that should absolutely be brought up around the Thanksgiving dinner table, the Christmas dinner absolutely. table. Yeah, for all of you deconstructing and you're already freaking your family out, why not also throw in really sensitive topics like race and gender? Like race and gender. And so that's that's what we're going to talk about. Exactly. Yeah. So you can take these questions that Derek and I are asking and just lob them at your family and watch the grenades explode. It will be fun. And we want post-Christmas reports of all of this. So, um, yeah, where should we start, Derek? What's what's foremost on your mind? Well, you know, the, the, I, I have um, a couple of things on my mind, and I think I'm going to start off with a softball, right? And, and, and that is women in leadership. And, and, and here's the thing. We want to keep this in the framework of race and gender. But one of the things that 
I find really challenging is that it seemed like for a time that, and, and I said in the green room, Katie, that you were like the poster child for women in ministry, for what, for what women in leadership should look like. Because you're, you're, you're scholarly, you're vocal, you're cultivating community, you're doing all of these fantastic things. And not only that, I want to give you a, a, a specific shout out for bridging racial gaps, you know, oh, or building racial bridges. Lot, thank you. For, you know, I do try. Well, listen, you try. I mean, you know, yeah. but, but, but again, it's like if you, if you don't try, um, yeah, then every, everything is a failure, right? Right. So, so the thing is you're, you're doing this and, 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 and like I said, I really, I wanted to laud you for that, but. Well, that, well, that, so that totally goes both ways. And just as we were deciding what this episode was going to be about, it was just for listeners know, like a little peek behind the scenes, Derek is like, let's talk about women in ministry. And I'm like, let's talk about race in ministry. <laughs> let's talk about race in church. So <laughs> we're, we're all on each other's teams. Yeah, and 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 one of one of the things, like like I said, there was a time uh, I want to say, like over the last four or five years, that you saw a resurgence or or, or a surgence, better yet, uh, of women in ministry, women in leadership. But now it seems like the pendulum is swick, swick, uh, quickly swinging in the other direction, and and now they're trying to silence women's voices. And 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 I've seen this not just with. Um, you know, uh, white women in ministry, but women of color and with indigenous women. And it's almost as if the pendulum is swinging back to, I don't suffer a woman to teach. Right. And, and, and it's, and it's really frustrating because like we were saying before, me personally, I don't have any, any love for Christianity as a framework. And, and if it goes away, it goes away, but, but big, butt because I like big butts and I cannot <laughs> lie that if it is going to survive, if there is going to be anything resembling a future for Christianity, that it must not just accommodate, but celebrate the voices of women. And that in, in the context of this, that, that we, we must also, not just accommodate, but celebrate the voices of color. And I'm going to throw in one more that we didn't talk about, but I'm going to throw it in here uh, anyway. Wait, wait, race, gender, and? Race, gender, and sexuality. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because the, the LGBTQ community must be brought to the table and given a place of esteem and celebration. Otherwise, Christianity is fucked. Yeah, and so I, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm in, I tend to be in agreement, um, uh, you know, sort of obviously. So yeah, those who don't know, I, I am an ordained Christian minister. I, it's funny, I, I had like a ministry kind of identity crisis about a year, year and a half ago, because I haven't served in a church now in like four years, three, three or four years. It's been quite a while. And the work I do around metaphysics, I use a lot of my ministerial kind of skills, but it's not a ministry. It is something else. Like my ministry is really um, involved with some volunteer work, with doing some um, uh, some things for my denomination, and I and really in my work around sexuality uh, and my scholarship is really kind of where my ministry is. My metaphysics is something, but it's not quite ministry. Um, so, Derek, I appreciate the um, I, I appreciate the props of women in ministry uh, poster child. I know some people who will be horrified by that, and some people who will celebrate it. Let's look at ministry in, in its actual terminology and in, in its actual etymology. And it has to do with serving, right? Yeah. That, yeah, that the ministry is a service. And, and so from that standpoint, yes, you still fit that criteria. Yeah, not, necessarily that, so. the, not necessarily with the not necessarily with the with the collar and the and the robes and yeah. all the you know the frills, but but yeah. That. But but yeah, you know, it's I, I'm so appreciative of what you say about sort of this, like, kind of growing women's voices and then silencing them. And I, whenever we see that, and I think we've seen it probably, I, th I think you're speaking about like kind of an evangelical circles where we've seen women's voices growing in the past few years, and then they get silenced. Of course, in my circles, which tend to be much more in moderate progressive Christianity, women's voices, women have been being ordained 
and celebrated for decades now. I mean, since the 50s, it's the 1950s or, or before in some cases or after in some cases. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that women's voices are actually leading, um, leading the way. And so it's a tricky thing. Even in my denomination, uh, we were, um, I was helping promote uh, like a training that a, a Latina woman was providing. I got all these Facebook comments. No, no, a woman, a woman can't be in ministry. A woman can't be a minister. And they weren't necessarily people from our denomination. But people will just sort of throw out a Bible verse like, yeah, women shouldn't talk in church. You know, all the ones we've talked about, we've talked about them in our, uh, in our series. And it's too easy. So the thing to me is if, if I'm like, if you think you can actually silence women's voices by like throwing a Bible verse at them, that um, <laughs> I need more complexity uh, in life than that. So yeah, like women's, um, it's, it's not only women's voices, but I think women's way of doing things needs to be um, brought up more and like LGBTQ ways of doing things, non-binary ways of doing things needs to be part of the fabric of how we continue Christianity, transform Christianity. I'm not sure what it should be. Well, you know, I, I think that one of the things that we absolutely need to do is, is, um, is take Christianity back to its roots. I mean, real Christianity, not the religious bullshit that passes for it these days, but let's go back to the original, you know, that, that let's talk about how women were central to Jesus's ministry Let's talk about women in the first century church. Let's talk about women in the era of the church fathers. And then let's juxtapose that with the presence of people of color in the Bible narrative, plus the people of color in the first century church, plus the people of color in the church fathers era. Because if we, if we go back and look at all of this and look at it holistically, we see a church or a community that was broadly diverse and, uh, and, and broadly inclusive. And how do we get to something that was so diverse and inclusive and get to something that's, that became so monolithic? How did we get there? Uh, I'm not sure exactly how we got like over the 2000 years to sort of where we are now, except I, I always bring this back to one word. It's just patriarchy. There's like, there, there's nasty patriarchy when it gets a hold, things, things go awry. But yeah, you know, in the origins of Christianity, absolutely. Women were absolutely foundational to the ministry of Jesus, Jesus. And then the um, later, later people after the uh, death of Jesus were completely dependent on wealthy widows to fund the Jesus movement to receive them, to provide them hospitality. I think we clearly see diversity um, in those, you know, in the first century. Uh, after the first century, I lose a little like momentum on my knowledge. But Derek, I think you actually look stuff up about the early church fathers. So tell us, because I probably don't know the second and third centuries all that as well as you do. Well, you know, what, one of the things that I found was that um, there were two particular titles uh, for women that were the actual positions of, of leadership or positions of esteem, and that were widows and virgins. And you mentioned the widows, right? Oh, the yeah. widows, widows were uh, women that had an inheritance and therefore had some financial substance. And, and, and because of this financial substance, money talks, bullshit walks, right? <laughs> so th you're, you're able to, um, uh, to have a voice because of your economic impact. And, and this was, um, you know, this was something that, that was very, uh, big in the early church uh, around the time of, uh, Tertullian, uh, who was one of the, uh, early church fathers that was very vocal against, uh, women in ministry, uh, or women in leadership. Uh, and then virgins, of course, they were considered to be special because of their chastity because of their purity and 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 that purity was esteemed as being closer to god and as so these two categories of women were uh were given a particular perspective of esteem uh, by the early church but one of the things that uh that people don't realize is that there were um there were orders of female presbyters 
in in many of the the sects and schisms, I, and I'm calling them that because denominations really didn't exist as oh, yeah, a construct at, at that time. Um, but but even though th- there weren't very many of them, that they were there. And they were, and, and the presbyters, for those of you who don't know, are, is a position of being like an elder in a church. Uh, in, in other words, someone who was in authority, someone who had, uh, governing authority within a, uh, body of believers, a local community of believers. So, um, you know, this, this kind of, um, you, you saw many women presbyters until around the fifth century. And, and, and at that point, it began to die down as patriarchy rose and, and began to really, uh, focus on a male dominated, uh, ministry model. But, but again, let's, let's go back because we look in the, in the New Testament. We see uh, Lois and Eunice, the the mother and grandmother of of, of uh, Timothy, respectively. We see uh, Junia, uh, who was considered to be noteworthy among the apostles by the apostle Paul himself. Uh, and, and then and then we go back to uh, to Mary Magdalene and 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 others, where. Uh, women actually had, and, and this is another thing too, is that the home churches, the early first century churches were largely home churches. And these home churches were largely founded by and grown by women. Well, yeah, wealthy women, especially those widows. Yeah. Right. So uh, widows, widows and widows had, um, sort of special, some special privilege. If they chose not to get remarried, they would have, um, some independence. That would have been, um, yeah, giving them some freedom and some flexibility, uh, definitely in the ancient world. Uh, as you were talking about Tertullian, and I'm just, not, I haven't read, um, too, read up too much on him. Um, it doesn't surprise me that he's protesting kind of female independence. But whatever we, whenever we see someone protesting something, it's a good signal about the conversation that's happening that we're not seeing. Right. So if if Tertullian is protesting women leaders, that tells us a lot of people are promoting women leaders. That tells us that there's women leadership. You don't make laws about things that people aren't doing. Right. Um, So that's actually like a really good signal about what people are talking about um, in the ancient world. So I think we see these pockets of leadership. There's certainly patriarchy throughout. We certainly see the church start to model itself after Rome. But the virgins, I think, are interesting because when uh, when women can choose not to get married and to remain virgins lifelong, that's, of course, like the foundation of how we get nuns, uh, these different mm-hmm. religious orders. But it gives them a certain <clears throat> autonomy and power, right? Because they don't have to get married. They don't have to do uh, what a husband tell or a father tells them to do. So you see a lot of protests about this, like, for instance, in the story of um, Thecla. Uh, yeah, in the story of Sec- Thecla, late first century, early second century. Um, Thecla is a virgin who follows Paul around. She baptizes herself. She chooses not to get married. It angers her parents. It angers her fiance uh, for some understandable reasons. But she's taking her power into her own hands. Um, and so this understandably frightened some of the patriarchy. So we see that kind of location of power. I don't think we need to like have to have the model of virginity and widows now as our only right. models for power, for power for women <laughs> or empowerment for women. But yeah, that's where we can see some of the origins for sure. But you said something really key there. You you said women take a woman taking her own power. Yeah, you know? totally. And and that to me, I believe is, is is really the beauty of all of this because if if you think about it, uh, a, a woman who claimed her own power at at a time when when there was a literally a literal dependency of women upon men. Them taking their own power actually creates a model for the modern woman of faith, right? Because that, that says, I don't need a man to define me. I don't need a man to, uh, to give me worth that I am, I am worthy on my own. And, and one of the things that I think that, that caused a problem is that you, you had a lot of, uh, pagan worship that was going on, like the cult of Diana, uh, for example. And, and, and in these 
um, in these sects that were these non-Christian sects, basically women had authority over men. And so when, when Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth about, about women, I think that what he was doing, I, I, he was looking at a situation and not building a doctrine per se, but he was looking at the situation and say, Hey, okay, we've got, we've got these women that are just way overbearing and way overwhelming. And, and they're, and, and they're trying to rule things in the Christian space as they did in this pagan space. And what we need to do is we need to turn. And, and I really believe and you guys know how much I hate Paul. <laughs> but I think that Paul was trying to swing things back to the center by saying, no, it isn't just all, all women, but men have to meet women at the middle and, and work on this uh, together. Um, my favorite, so some of my favorite, one of my favorite explanations for the um, passage in Corinthians that about a woman's, you know, should, should cover her hair, uh, should cover her hair, be veiled and cover her head, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, there's actually a medical explanation for that. And uh, I, this was brought my, to my attention by the scholar Maud Gleason, who's just amazing. Uh, but she talks about the medical discussion in the ancient world about how a woman's hair, they believed, and it's actually true, uh, was hollow, that the hair strands were hollow. And that the longer a woman's hair was, the hollowness acted like a vacuum to suck the sperm out of a man and into her womb for procreation. And so some of the talk about covering hair, if hair was seen as a sexual organ, um, like in, in a place like Corinth, and a woman was to cover her hair and have it be grow very, very long, it might have been for the purposes of procreation. And I think I'm mixing up actually First Corinthians and one of the Timothys uh, all at the same time. But the argument to me made a lot of sense about why women's hair should be uh, covered in this way. And of course, now we have some more medical knowledge that, you know, ancient first century people did not have access to. Wow, you you, you just kind of blew my mind with sperm sucking hair. <laughs> I like I aim to please here. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's uh you know that's that's all uh really interesting. But one one of the things that um I think about I'm I'm going to turn the turn the ship around and and uh and and kind of take on the racial aspect of our discussion um because we always uh hear about Simon of Cyrene and and how he helped to carry Jesus's cross and and so people say oh well look you know this uh, a black man would had a part in this right and and I and I think that's funny because if you look at the Middle East right there were no blue blue-eyed, blonde-haired, Caucasian people yeah. there. I'm going to say something radical. There's no white people in the Bible. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's actually not radical at all, but yeah, there's no, no. white people in the no, Bible. No, I'm, like, I'm, I'm with you. And and I've said that before, and, and, and uh, you know, we, we have our little heresy soundbite, that whenever I say that, the whole the the whole internet explodes with the heresy soundbite. <laughs> that's, when, that's when Derek goes to Facebook jail. Oh my God! But you know, I, I I have to say this though. I haven't been in Facebook jail in over a year. It's amazing. <laughs> but anyway, when we talk about race, that you said that you you said this actually precisely, Katie. There are no white people in the Bible. There there are no Caucasian characters in the Bible. Uh, these were, or let me put it this way: until you get to uh, the Christianity spreading westward in Europe, you don't find white people. No. Yeah, I mean, we find we find people from Greece. We find people from Italy. We find even some people from Gaul who today we would call white people, but there is no white identity. Exactly. At all. And, and, yeah. And, and, and so, so, so basically when we talk about the founding of the church, we're talking about a diverse community of people. That there, there, there were there were people from all kinds of ethnicities, all kinds of nationalities, all kinds of languages, all coming together around this principle of this man of peace, this man of love, this human incarnation of God, right? And and so we we have that, and and this is the thing that really interested me is that I really believe that the early church 
was an instrument of racial equality and an instrument of gender equality. That, that basically that this was really leveling the playing field. Now, one of the things that frustrated me and uh, many of you who are listening, if you've tracked my theological journey, and and I would say that I am what I call a a functional um, uh, atheist uh, atheist theist. I don't know if you would, because I do believe in intelligent design, but you know I don't believe in the God of the Bible. Let's just do put, you, put I it, think. Put, do you believe in or do you conceive of God as a personality? Like a being, I, I think God is a being or a, an energy, a force, a life. I, I don't, I don't really know how to categorize it anymore. But it, it's not, it, it's not um, some, it's not the sky daddy that no, we've been no. taught. I'm kind of curious yeah. if you're theistic or non-theistic. Let me say this: that I'm, I'm theist, I'm theistic in the sense of intelligent design, and that's about the extent of it. Okay. I, I can't I can't look at everything in nature in the universe in the quantum realm and say that there's not some intelligent design because otherwise everything would be totally random and you wouldn't be able to make sense of anything because everything would change all the time. But because we are able to identify patterns, we're able to identify rhythms and so on and so forth, that there that there is repetition. And repetition is a is a hallmark of intelligent design. And and that but that's as far as as I get, but this, this intelligence, I don't think that it has any real skin in the game as far as what we do or don't do. Yeah. I'm, I'm with that, you. I don't, I'm not, well, I, I would define myself as a theist. I don't think God cares about the color of my carpet. No, you know, like, he doesn't I'm not care about pray, your car keys either. I'm not praying about that kind of thing. Right. So, okay. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So define, but, so terms being defined, continue with yeah, the thought. Yeah, I, just, I just had to, had to actually, uh, a set, set level set there. Um, but, um, I went through this thing when um, I, I was part of what they call the grace movement. And the grace movement basically said, you know, God is love and, and God is not uh, all about uh, eternal conscious torment or about penal substitutionary atonement, that that basically Jesus paid the price for all humanity to be restored and reconciled unto him and all of that. And, and, and I was all in that. I was all in that. But here's where it went sideways for me, because when you had uh, things like the um, Trayvon Martin or Tamir Rice or Michael Brown or George Floyd or Atiana Jefferson or both of John or anybody, right, that whenever these things came up, I was very angry. And I was angry because if this could happen to them, it could happen to me. If it could happen to me, it could happen to my children. And 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 I had to say something. There was no way that I could go through this and just not say anything. So what happened was is that I spoke out. I was vocal. I had to I had to say something. And the grace movement, they were like, oh Derek. Don't talk about race. Derek, don't talk about social justice. Derek, don't talk about politics. Just stick to preaching love. Stick to preaching grace. Stick to preaching the gospel. And, and, and they, and they kept on saying this over. And, and at first, when I was first approached with this, I backed down. And, and I said, well, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to stick with just preaching love. But then the, the, it would just keep happening again and again and again and again. And, 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 and you, have to, you have to understand that when you see something that is a clear and present threat to you, that you have to either say something in protest of it or do something in defense against it. But you cannot just sit by and allow it to happen. You can't because there's too much at stake. Life, your very life, your, your very freedom is at stake. Well, that's where the, um, that verse from, Re the verse from Revelation, I, I think I can actually, this one is relevant here about like God spitting us out when we're lukewarm. Mm -hmm. 
like ignoring the problem of racism, especially within the grace movement is, is it's, it's sinful. I mean, it is, it's sinful. And it's the flip side of love is justice. Yeah. They go hand I in mean, hand. It was, is a, to me, it was a clear example of invoking privilege because yeah. when you don't have to worry Blindly, about this, yeah. it, it's, it's easy for you to ignore it. But let me just say this and, I, and I'll, I'll kick it back over to you because I really need to get this part off my chest. And, and it's this, that what, what I did after that, I, I constructed a thought experiment. And I, on, on my Twitter feed, on my Instagram feed, on my Facebook feed, I created a series of very well-structured, well-timed posts involving the word fuck or some variation, some conjugation of that word. And, and the same people who told me to back off about race, about social justice, about politics were up in arms about my use of the word fuck. Because that's what you and get so, attention, yeah. Well, what, here's the thing. I yeah. said, you guys are more undone by the use of the F-bomb than you are by human beings being killed without, without reason. And, and at that point, I decided that was my point of exodus from the plantation uh, of the grace movement, the plantation, and, and I'll, I'm going to say this, and it's going to be harsh, but the plantation of Christianity, because what, what, I, what I saw over the last four years with Donald Trump and the people who supported him, I could no longer as- align myself with the beliefs of the same people that supported that guy. That, it just, that was totally incongruous to me. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, it's, that's brutal. And I know I've um, heard versions kind of of the, a part of that story in the Exodus for you. And oh, uh, yeah, like just, just brutal. And I, um, white complicity is, oh, it's just that. It's white complicity. It's, um, yeah, like you said, just spoken from this place of utter privilege. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious too, as we we're talking about, race and Bible, it's like interesting you brought up the example of Simon, right? Who kind of gets held up as this exoticized black person. Yeah. In the and, Bible. And even then, even then really he, harmful. He was like in a slave position. He was the one carrying the cross. Right. It wasn't like he didn't, you know, so look it's at like, him. Be right. like him. Or like the token, <laughs> um, like kind of having a tokenized um wise man. Yeah. Right. When we represent the wise men of the or the magi, yeah. there's like the one from Africa that's um, harmful. And so, yeah, this is. Um, yeah. So it's tough stuff. So there, there's sort of special concerns, special um, kind of language uh, to talk about race in church and also even race in Bible. Uh, and I know that I am. Um, as clergy, I've attended uh, many anti-racism trainings. Often white people take these off the rails and kind of wreck them. I've been part of several painful conversations where I see, you know, and I see my own blinders. I see places where I've gotten it wrong uh, in the past where I've had to be corrected. And that's all, it's all really good, but they are not like, none of that's easy, right? right? That requires us to be able to look at our own but see, this is this is what separates this is what separates you from everyone else, Katie. And I, and I, again, I'm you know people you you probably you probably don't like me putting you on a pedestal, but I'm going to put Good you work. on there <laughs> because because it, you know where you, you have been listening, you have been helping, you have been in the trenches, and 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 I want to say that about Matt and Keith also. It, it's like all of you guys have been in the. Oh, I mean, it, it, it has. Yeah, you, have, you haven't just been paying lip service to this. You've actually been in the fight. You know, you actually you you guys have been arm in arm with me as if you have a dog in the fight, and and technically you do. But but it's like um, so many of so many people. Uh, you know, they kind of blow it off and say, well, this is not what we should be talking about. But again, going back to the church history, right? And, and we talk about the, 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 the early church fathers, Tertullian, uh, Minucius Felix, Cyprian, Lacantius, um, Optatus, and Augustine. You know, these are all men who had 
who, who were influential in shaping the early church. And, and, and so this, this African influence is not something that's Johnny come lately. It's not something that's an adjunct to Christianity. It is central to the formation of and and the and the the building and the growth of it, just like the uh, you know early er, you know uh, women who were uh, involved in the in the early church, women minorities have been instrumental in the founding and the growth of what we know to be Christianity. But but again, Latter Day Christianity has come around and just basically minimized the value of those contributions. Yeah. And that's, yeah, everything has been male whitewashed, like, right. Very male whitewashed, both in depiction, um, depiction and in structure. And so, yeah, I think even like every, you know, as we're talking about this, like all the voices are obvious, these voices are obviously um, significant historically. And as we're looking to the future, that does seem like the future of Christianity is, needs to ask the patriarchal, the white patriarchal voices to, well, I don't want to say ask the white patriarchal voice to take a back seat because like that's not possible. It just needs to take the front seat, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, if we're driving that bus, drive that bus. And there's, I, I'm at a point in my life and, and uh, the way I do ministry where I don't like, there's no permission asking for that. And there's no room for kind of accommodation. And so like, Derek, I love that you were able just to walk away from people who couldn't face their own privilege. Like sometimes that's what it takes. Like that sometimes following Jesus is actually just walking away from systems that oppress um, and but doing to, to, things in a new way. To your, to, to turn it back in your direction, that, that being a, a, a true follower of Christ means taking your own power. That, 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 and, and so, so I love it that you're not asking for a seat at the table. You're not asking for someone to give you power. You're not asking anyone to, to, to stop and hear your voice. You are asserting yourself as a, a human being and as a believer or follower of Jesus. And, and to me, that is exemplary. Uh, of, I mean, and, and honestly, I, I kind of like, in my case, from a racial standpoint, I just got to the point where I said, I'm not waiting for anybody to give me a seat at the table. Either yeah, I'm build either, your own table. Yep. I'll, either I'm going to, I'm going to take a seat at their table or I'll build my own. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you got to build, yeah, you do have to build your own table. And I know it's been important for me and um, listeners, I don't know if this will be helpful for um, for all of you, but I do find accountability partners. And it's not, it's not even that formal. It's not like I have a council meeting once a month or something like that. But as I'm building my own table, and I, that's maybe even too strong of a statement, like my, my denomination and my peers are wildly supportive. Like, they're, they're amazing. They're people who are preaching racial justice. They're people who are preaching gender equality, uh, men, women, non-binary, like all around. Um, and so it's not like, it's not like I'm a lone voice in the wilderness. I'm not at all, uh, one among many. Um, but you know, within that it's easy, it would be really easy for me to strike out totally on my own. And so I I do make sure that I have people like I have people um, of color, colleagues of color, um, other colleagues who can say like, eh, you're not quite getting that right. And so that happened to me in a, a ministry position I was in where I was getting things, I was trying my, I was trying my damn hardest, but I was getting things really wrong around race. Um, I was handling it wrong. I was handling it wrong. Um, I was in a, I was kind of in a flight, fight, freeze. I was in a frozen, I was completely frozen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like didn't know what to do. I won't be real specific because I don't want to uh, cause harm to anyone who was in that situation with me. But we were, it was, it was really dicey, really tricky, really tense. Uh, and I was handling it wrong. And finally, one of my colleagues was like, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. And like, we can help. Right. So I had to receive help and acknowledge that like, I was really fucking it up uh, around, yeah, around uh, racial identity. And like race within this ministry group. Um, And so like things go wrong, but as Jesus followers, like it's up to us to make them right, to make it to take us, take a back seat when we need to take a back seat. 
So, you know, it's always learning and growing. It's not like a, it's not like we get this right 100% of the time. But like, Derek, I'm like, I'm really admiring the like, forge your own path. And like that, that radically reformulated as far as I can tell, um, or let me ask, let me ask it in the form of a question would be better. <laughs> um, did that, is that part, is that departure due to the blinders of the grace movement around race and around people's actual lives? Um, is that part of what reformulated your concept of God? And that's that's definitely a part of it, Katie. It's, it, but there's there's a lot more to it, a lot more moving parts. Um, like for example, I, I've actually taken the time to uh, to study things like canonization and taken time to study the early church fathers and 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 how what we call the Bible has has settled into what we know it to be today. And 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 so I, I think that that Keith has a really good um, understanding of this, that if we look at it as allegory, if, if we look at it as, um, as stories that, that help to uh, articulate a greater point or, or, or a greater whole, then I get it. The, the problem is, is that there are some people that look at it as a literal document that must be followed, that must be adhered to, and all of these things. And, and I just can't see it that way anymore. So so when when I deconstructed and and this is the other thing too is that deconstruction I think is is a little different for minorities and also for women than it is for um say white men because there are other parts of the narrative that have been used to either oppress or control us that we have to we have to be able to to uh to isolate those things and be able to understand and articulate those things so that as we're as we're walking away from it now see like in in my case I think I'm a little different because I quote unquote threw out the baby with the bathwater but my my res- my response to that is is that I checked and there's no baby, just dirty water. But that's <laughs> right. my that's my interpretation of it. Um, but, but again, you know, like there are some people that, that hey, I, there's something here that I find beautiful, that I find helpful, that I find the strength as it edifies my spirit. Well, if you if that's you, and if that's where you are, dear listener, then then by all means. Find, take out, go to those things and compartmentalize those things that have caused you grief, that have caused you consternation, that 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 you feel have oppressed you, and 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 take those things and walk away from those things and keep what's good to you. But again, in my case, is a little bit different, you know. So I always say, your mileage may vary. Well, and I can imagine too for. Um Black listeners who are deconstructing, uh, other listeners of color who are deconstructing, the weight of uh, constantly kind of, what's the right word, fighting or or sort of recognizing that oppression, that um, scripture and history that has been used specifically to um, oppress you um, sounds exhausting. It is. Like for me, just thinking about that sounds exhausting. So like as a... Like it's a whole other layer to deconstruct. You're not only deconstructing your faith, you're deconstructing the way the faith has been used to do something. Yeah. Like, so that's a, yeah, that's a whole nother weighted blanket to have and, to come and, out and from under. And that that's really important because, like I said, and I, I, I I'm not a woman, so I can't speak for women, but I will say is that, that the trajectory uh, of women in faith and minorities in faith that the trajectories are very similar. Um, yeah, there's some parallel tracks there. There are there are parallel tracks, and 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 they they even though it may not be a precisely identical trajectory, it's it's similar. Um, and what I what I see is is that not only are you deconstructing from what you believe but you're deconstructing uh, from its application in day-to-day living. Because right. what, what you're saying is like this this thing 
I, this is not how I, I, I'm not going to live my life according to this. This is something that has been uh, detrimental to me. It's been harmful to me. It's been hurtful to me. And I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, to deal with this. So, so for me, it, it was like, um, looking at the whole thing and saying, okay, this, and, and I keep using this, uh, this one meme from Rick and Morty, uh, you know, it says that just sounds like slavery with extra steps. <laughs> and, and so, you know, and, and that's, that's what a lot of this is. Like when, when you look genius. at, when, yeah, yeah when, when you, when you look at how, uh, you know, the app, the, the practical application of religion and theology and so on and so forth, that, that for a lot of people, that's what it's tantamount to. Well, so, and I think, yeah, special concerns for you know women who are in the deconstruction process, often that deconstruction process begins when women are in relationship with men who are not going through the same process. And that is yeah. like, oh my gosh, I, that didn't happen to me. Um, but there's so many layers there, right? Like if you have a spouse who's still believing that the patriarchal order is the way that causes like that's some problems um and that can be really weaponized um to try to continue you know continue um i mean it can't it can be abusive um uh, to try to keep women in a particular kind of way uh way and so, so let me let me turn that around and ask mm-hmm. you a question katie sure the the old adage about uh, being unequally yoked that, that that here you you just said that like if, if a if a husband and wife or or two partners you know male and female or male and male female and female whatever right. that that they're, they're they're deconstructing in uh, in different uh, different tracks or right. or, or for example like when when you have like um, different genders so you you have uh, deconstructing along gender lines or different races they're deconstructing along racial lines so how does this fit in with the whole equally versus unequally yoked thing. I, I want to hear what your thoughts are on that. Well, say like, say just a little bit more, like, so, or give a specific example. Well, it, like, say for, you just mentioned that if you have a husband and wife, that the, let's say the, the the wife is deconstructing differently because of, of her understanding as a woman, how she, you know, she perceives women to have been uh, treated by either scripture or by uh, Christianity or by theology, right? And so she's deconstructing along a different line than her husband, right? Um, that that you know, someone would say, "See, that's why you d- you shouldn't be unequally yoked." You know, your typical M one A one Christian will give you that. You know, and so you, you when you said that, that just sparked that question right. in my head. I said, I wanted to pick your brain on that. <laughs> There's like, there's like literally, you know, there's like no argument around about it, right? Because it's a, um, it's a line. I mean, it's the same as throwing a scripture verse at someone without doing the deep work. And so I'd say if someone's, if someone's in that position, just take the yoke off. <laughs> who, who the hell care? Take the yoke off. Like, who cares? Like, you each have to do your own. I mean, ultimately, we have to deconstruct at our, by ourselves. Like we can be in conversation with others, like we can't do it for someone. I think what I just see too often, like just too heartbreakingly often, and this happens um, quite a bit in my Facebook group, someone will come, they're like, okay, I no longer believe X, Y, or Z, but my husband is now weaponizing the fact that I think chakras are okay against me. Mm. And like turning my community against me, they're like these men will turn families against women as they're exploring. And so it's like when someone is vulnerable enough to share their experience their and their deconstruction experience, then it gets turned against them. So don't care about yokes, just take the yokes off and run free. Nice. Like run free and be free. Um, it doesn't mean that your marriage has to end. I mean, like, you know, that's you, you kind of kind of come to some of those conclusions in depth um, kind of on your own, but yeah, I mean, like for, for women, that's a, um, it kind of an added layer. And then I know when I kind of start to look at my life and I'm like, you see the different people you've been trying to please Mm. for like decades and decades and decades, um, and different ways that people try to like, kind of mold your behavior. It becomes, it becomes all this, um, it's just, it's another layer. It's another layer. And so women of color, 
who are dealing with gender and race, total props to you all. Like total props. I know we have quite a few women of color listeners. We know you guys are doing amazing hard work uh, in your life. And there's so much going on. And we're like so incredibly proud of you and that you're you're part of the community because there's stuff go there's just so many layers there. Yep. I, and I don't say amen much anymore, Katie, but I will say amen to that. It's just <laughs> amen, amen. Yes. Well, yes. Women of color you know, rule, ruling the world, uh, ruling the world in that way. And I want to, I want to, uh, you know, as we're getting close to um, landing the plane here, I want to talk about uh, the inclusion of the LGBTQ community. And I really want to, I, I really want to speak to this because I, I, I really believe that this is a community that not only has been unserved or even underserved, but has been disserved by by Christianity, but. There are so many people, and I, 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 I could think of a lot of a lot of names. Uh, you know, I could think of uh, P.K. Langley or Seth Showalter, um, you know, Romel Parks Weekly or uh, Will Rucker. People, people that are I'm close to that that they hold on to their their Jesus following, and 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 for them, in my opinion, it would be easy to let go of this. It'd be easy to walk away from the faith completely, but yet and still, they hang on, right? They they found a place, but they, they're they still operating in um, small clusters or even silos rather than being invited into, uh, you know, broader circles. And and again, the, the, there are many that just tolerate the LGBTQ community in, instead of celebrating them. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't go where you're tolerated. Go where you're celebrated. Yeah, exactly. Definitely, I, I think that's true. I see it. Um, and it, there are progressive groups who are fully inclusive. Like United Church of Christ it comes to mind. My denomination became fully inclusive a few years ago. But because you're fully inclusive on paper doesn't mean that the full inclusion is there in the ways that it needs to be in terms of it's not only representation, it's the way we do business. Like the way we do business has to be led by groups and by people who have the experience of being on kind of on the margins uh, because there's special talent there. Um, there's special talent there for leading and doing things in new ways. There's a different uh, skill set um, that comes with that. And so it's there's there's a place at the table um, uh, and celebration, but there's also really deep listening that I think has to happen um, within Christianity, within groups. I've certainly been part of groups and conversations that have been able to do that well and parts of conversations with groups who are not able to do that well because humans. Yeah, I, I I just um I I really think that if the community of faith uh and 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 I'm so reluctant to use the word Christianity because I I really I really detest that word um now um but the community of faith the body of Christ the family of believers whatever you want to call it um that if it is going to survive beyond say the next 50 years that there's going to have to be significant change that there's going to have to be um an acknowledgement of what christianity or what that theology has done to people of color to uh to women and to uh, the LGBTQ community, that there's going to have to be uh, some responsibility taken uh, for those actions and uh, some means of redress to um, to um, repair the breach and 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 to actually uh, change how we bring different uh, people, different groups to the table um, regarding matters of faith. And I'm just uh, you know. Let me let me put it this way. Whenever I get a chance to sit down and talk to you guys, we we do this every every couple of weeks and sometimes a, a little bit more frequently. But you guys give me hope. I, you know, 
I, I, I say that the that that there's hope <laughs> for uh, the Jesus movement that I see in you guys, because I, when I when I look beyond you, I, I'm totally, totally, totally gone past it. Have no use for it, and, and, and so you you guys give me hope. That's that's all. Well, the, um, you know, the, the Jesus movement will continue on. The forms that it takes are, will change. Um, they have changed. They've not remained the same in hundreds of, I mean, they, they change, they have to, they adapt. Um, I think, I think it was Marcus Borg before he died that said that the, he believed that the church of the future at that time, like 30 years from then, it's probably 20 years from now, 15 years from now, uh, would be much smaller, but more faithful. That the, the 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 those who are those who remain within kind of structure um, will be smaller but mightier and less toxic. I don't want to even say yeah. less toxic because that's not a positive way no. to put it, but um, more no, uh, illustrative of the actual love of Christ. And to me, it's um, Christians don't have to get it perfect. That's impossible. Like we're not going to no. get it perfect. No. Um, and that's not the point. The point is that we learn when we fuck it up and do it better. Like, cause that's what Christ calls us to do. Right. And so it's that, um, yeah, it's those, those who are following the words of Christ doing their, doing, doing their best. And that's about, uh, as good as I think that, um, that we can get it. I think that we probably need to uh, to send out a, a, a beacon to Matt uh, to well, uh, to have wanna, him. Yeah, and I want to know how he carried his phone around. So let's let's uh, let's text him back. Yeah, he might. He's gonna have to run uh, to get back to the computer to uh, to kind of tech our way to this closing. Uh, <laughs> But in, in, in the meantime, Katie, do you have some information that you want to share with, with our friends and the listening audience? Nah, I'm good. No, I'm kidding. Of course I do. <laughs> I want to tell you all how you can connect with us. Okay, first of all, now that J- Derek and I have solved the problems of race and gender, we want you to find out what kind of heretic you are. So come to our website. That, um, uh, is it the, I think it's the heretichappyhour.com uh, and take our quiz and find out what kind of heretic you are. And then after you take the quiz, post your quiz results. You'll become like, you'll be Teresa of Avila or Martin Luther or Gandhi or like one of another famous heretic. You're going to say the heretic that you're most like as from the results of our quiz. You're going to post that in our free Facebook group called Heresy After Hours and introduce yourself and tell the whole world in our free Facebook group, which we want you to join, what kind of heretic you are. So do both of those things and you'll be loved by Derek and I with Matt and Keith. You're out. You're out. No <laughs> love from them. No love. Not a, not a, not a shred of love. From nothing, those guys. nothing. But that, they're not the ones whose love you need. That's right. You it's, need it, we're, we're important here. We're, we're right. the important ones here. We're like, we saved the show like a year and a half ago. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But listen, if you guys really love us, why don't you go over to patreon.com forward slash heretic happy hour and get connected by supporting this show with not just your listening, but also with your substance, because we're putting out some really great content. And, and I'm going to tell you something. These are some of the most fantastic people that you will ever come across. And, and, and listen, by, by doing this, this will ensure that this show goes on until we leave this mortal coil, which that, that's great for you guys. And remember, there are different tiers. You don't just have to go all in, you know, you $2 a month, $5 a month, $25 a month. And, and, and the higher you go, the more perks you get. And when you get up to the top tier, you get to participate in all these private discussions with your fellow, with your favorite heretics. And it is just absolutely fucking awesome. You don't so make even sure have you go to there. be a wealthy widow. That's right. Or you don't a virgin. Want to be a wealthy widow, $2 a month. <laughs> or, 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 or a virgin. virgin. <laughs> and, and of course, if you love us like you say you do, just go out to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And in doing that, you will contribute to an 
exercise that is bridging the gap between gender and race in the world through the medium of the internet. So five-star rating on iTunes. And we love you. Hey guys, I just got here. I am. I got your text. Are you sunburned? No, no. I'm Mediterranean. I don't burn. How did, how did the, how did the, uh, yeah, very much so. How did the show go? You guys didn't talk to it. You didn't talk too much shit, did you? Oh, that's all we did. No, 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 no. We were, we were pure as the uh, driven snow. Yeah, Katie says we we're, we're pure. I said we were we were talking shit by the shit low. <laughs> well, well, thanks for uh, for for take uh, holding down the fort. I'm sure you did as well as you could for uh, for missing Keith and I. Uh, miss you? Did we miss you, I, Katie? Did we where, miss? Them? Where were you guys? Yeah, I told you we were at a nudist colony. I still, so, I still am. I, I came here to shut down the recording we, so I could get we, back to hanging out. We summoned you, but where was your? Where were you keeping your phone? Where Matt? were you keeping your phone? I will let your imaginations run wild. I, I, I don't need to tell tell you. It was close at hand. Is it? Did you? Are you taking sanitizer around with it? In the age of COVID, always. Okay. Okay. So, did, were you using phone on a rope? Just curious, <laughs> something like that. All right, but enough about enough about me. Did you make sure to tell him about all my books? Oh yeah, first thing. That's that's what you guys talked about. My books, right? Buy Matt's books. Buy my shit. Well, thank you. Go get a Heretic Happy Hour pillow and take it to the news colony. Better than a fig leaf. <laughs>